IQ for You, the podcast that links risk and reward and all things cyber and social and everything else. And so I'm Dr. James Norrie. I'm one of your co-hosts and I'm here today with... Uh, Dr. Tamara Schwartz. And welcome back. And our topic today, I hope you'll find super intriguing. I know I, I have certainly in preparing this episode with Tammy. The, the title is Hybrid Warfare and a Battlefield Without Boundaries. So, without Boundaries. Without Boundaries. Much wow. like our conversation. Yeah, there you go. Much like, yes. Oh, there's a second rim shot. Just to, So um, anyway, the, the episode today is going to arc off of this idea, Guns N' Roses song, right? Guns N' Roses is really cool. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the jungle. jungle. It, it gets, gets worse, worse here, here every, every day. day. Look at that. Now, we, we will not normally sing. So for those of you who are horrified by Oh, I make no segment, such promise. No, that's true. You don't. Well, you sing much better than me. I promise I won't sing again on the podcast. So anyway, the introduction today is the FBI recently in, indicted six. Russian GRU operatives for a range of cyber attacks that took place over the last several years. We're going to get into that during today's episode, and we'll be discussing Russian hybrid warfare, this indictment, and what that means for business in the 21st century. So hang tight, one quick break, and we'll be right back. Hi, and we're back. Um, So... Before the break, we were talking about the title of this episode, Hybrid Warfare in a Battlefield Without Boundaries. So if you have not heard the term hybrid warfare before, I thought it might be helpful for us to explain what that is. So hybrid warfare is this combination of things like cyber warfare and economic warfare in conjunction with physical attacks. And and it's becoming pretty common to link cyber with physical attacks. And we're seeing it. Um, if you, one of the things that I that you'll see is that if you want to know what the future in cyber attack looks like, go look at what's happening in the Ukraine because the Russians have been honing their hybrid warfare tactics in Ukraine through a combination of this cyber to prep the battlefield and then come in behind it with physical assault. And, and so let's explore this definition just a little bit more for our for our listeners, because um, I've never met a degree I didn't like, and I've got a collection of them, and one of them is a law degree, and thank you, the University of Strathclyde, where I did my um, my degree in law. And the specialty is interesting, because I did a dual specialty, one in the in the law of armed conflict and national security, do-do-do-do, kind of interesting. Uh-huh. And um, the other thing that's uh, fascinating for me is that the law of armed conflict, which really predates cyber has inherently in it this idea of kinetic damage. You would know about Mm -hmm. this. The idea is that warfare is two countries, two entities going to war. They declare war. It is the declaration of war that enables... They shoot at one another. They they, drop bombs on one another. And the intent, of course, is primarily, by law, primarily to target overwhelming the other side's military might. However, of course, what we often call collateral damage, the idea that during war, civilians will also be hurt or harmed or killed. And, and so that there's certain targets that are viable even when we're trying to overwhelm the military, such as the factories and places that maybe produce weaponry, etc. There you go. So in the early goings of cybersecurity, really going back now, um, predating, I know we're going to talk about the Georgia-Russia conflict. I think that was a really a fundamental one that helped ship, shift this definition I'm about to talk about. But prior to that, 
the idea of offensive cyber did not meet many people's tests for warfare. And we had this idea of cyber war, right? This mm-hmm. is a fascinating phrase. Well, and the movies in the always make it look so right. exciting, right? right. People right. Right. vociferously right. typing on their keyboard. Right, which of course, it's not any of that for those of us who've no. done any work in offensive cyber. It's not that at all. But, <laughs> but okay, so the interesting thing about this is there was a great debate. Now, let me tell you from my perspective what I tell my students. So, of course, I have the pleasure of teaching at York College of Pennsylvania. I'm um, in one of the, the um, departments that I teach in is cybersecurity, Tammy and I both do. So I teach my students in cyber law a really famous example of uh, interference from the Russians, again, those naughty Russians, uh, and the Chinese both did this in two separate instances where they interfered with critical infrastructure, both of which had the capacity to cause death. Now, if that is not an act of war under the law of armed conflict, I don't know what is. So one was a dam in upstate New York, you may remember. They were able to overwhelm the control systems, and they could have opened or closed the dam in such a way as to cause extensive flooding. And it is clear, because we know this, when storms hit, we know people die. They drown, right? So so this becomes an interesting connection for people to make because you have a, an act of trying to overwhelm critical infrastructure that is clearly intended to test tactics that would be used used in a period of war. There can be no doubt they were testing and this. And so what you're talking about is is second and third order effects is the is the right. military terminology. Term. Right. And so we've had a we've had conversations about this um, back when we were standing up Cyber Command. At what point how do you define an act of war when it comes to cyberspace? Is an act of war turning off the power grid for a day? Right. Is it an act of war if you've turned off the power grid for a week, a month? How long does the power grid have to be off? How long do the cascading effects and the second and third order effects have to take take before we consider it an act of war? And this is all conversations being had internationally. Right. And so I'm, I'm pleased that the evolution of the term cyber war, we've now incorporated cyber, because I would argue there is no such thing as a pure cyber war. I think that mm-hmm. that's ridiculous. Uh, it seems to me that it is yet another simple extension of what we have always done. <clears throat> Disruption, seeking right. power, economic advantage, physical advantage, whatever it is. And so the term hybrid warfare for me is perfectly obvious. And I hope for our listeners now, they're connecting their dots and also finding it a pretty simple concept well, and, to understand. And you used to the term kinetic attack. Right. Um, one of the things we talked about when we were standing up Cyber Command was how do you leverage cyber in three different ways? So we talked about cyberspace being leveraged three different ways. One is that it is a place where we are, um, game theory applies, right? We're vying for power in cyberspace to dominate that particular piece of the battle space. One is looking at cyber as what we call a non-kinetic weapon. So a kinetic weapon is when you go drop a bomb and turn the lights out. A non-kinetic weapon is when you do something like inject a virus, which we saw happen in Ukraine, and do achieve the exact same effect. And so that goes to your your how do we define an act of war when we start using cyber tools. Right. And Um, let's let's be absolutely certain that were we, and and, um, let us always state for the record that this is would be a horrific event but in the event that we were actually at war for instance with russia or with china or any of those things it is abundantly clear to me that they have tested already the ability to to impact three critical parts of our online infrastructure and let's be really clear for our listeners that this is not 
this is not fantasy. It's not fiction. This is not otherworldly stuff. This is here and now. So we know that they would immediately target our financial systems because in a time of war, if they can disrupt the payments and the commerce of the opposition, then you have a, a lot of a lot of leverage. So they would go after our financial and payment system to interrupt those. They would go after our command and control systems, which is a direct military strike, and they go after critical infrastructure. And they have tested all kinds of viruses and bots and other things to determine the extent to which if they wanted to unleash an offensive cyber attack, they could. And that leads us back to that famous example. So let's look at the origins of this, which I think date really to the Russian-Georgian conflict in 2007-2008 period. So tell us a little bit about that, Tammy. So that w- it began with attacks on Georgia's uh, websites, and and, George- and wh- by Georgia we mean the nation of Georgia, and by websites I mean like the national websites that would be places you would turn to in in a need for information in a crisis, na- in a national crisis, and uh, and so they started with bringing down all of the ways that information to keep the public citizenry informed they they attacked all those websites and then after that was done then they came in physically with their tanks and whatnot but the intent was to make sure that it would be very difficult for the government to tell the public what to do and how to respond and how to take care of themselves. And of course, the challenge in that at the time, and it still is, by the way, so one of the, the issues we all face is that the the very nature of cyberspace is by definition above. It is a supranational construct, right? It, it rises above trans, individual Yeah, nations. transnational. Well, right. not even trans. Right. It's supranational in right, the sense yeah. that it's not even... Right. It's, it's not even... It's not physical. It's not physical, yeah. and it, it really has no definition or origin in right. a national country structure. But so we still are that. trying to apply our physical constructs of from co- the laws of armed conflict and to it. it. And there we go. So <laughs> and that's I, part I, of the problem. So I was just going to get to that. So, of course, under the law of armed conflict, you have to have the certainty of attribution. So before you can strike back, so before you can, uh, you can retaliate, so before you can declare a retaliatory effect to, um, attack to an original attack, uh, some kind of um, threat, you have to establish attribution. And the problem with attribution in cyberspace is, as we know, it's very complicated. So knowing the origins of this attack, but also let's add to that the very duplicitous nature of the Russians by definition, who are very good at masking what they do and deflecting attribution. Right. So what you had was the Georgians clearly believing that they were under pre-attack from Russia, but unable to prove it. And therein lies the dilemma that is so often the case, is you have to be very careful because everybody thinks you can figure out who done it. But let me tell you, who done it mysteries in cyberspace are really complicated to solve. They're not like the easy fiction you see with detectives down on the ground in the physical world. So um, I I think that's something to to take into account. So what particularly besides Georgia, what are some other examples of what the Russians have done? So tell us, tell us more. (laughs) So one of the, one of the attacks that that russia has launched uh, there's there's a couple um and one you may even be familiar with um and, and i'm talking to our listeners i know you're familiar with all of them james um not petty attack in 2017 mm. when mm. um the mm-hmm. the ransomware went yep. global and um, my favorite story is the is the story of maersk and if mm. you um if you ha- are not familiar with how bad this was for maersk um wired wired magazine had a 2000 18 article by a guy named Greenberg who um, gives you the details of what happened. But essentially, if you, if you're not familiar with who Maersk is, or if you, even if you are, they run 20% of the world's shipping, shipping infrastructure. And they had a guy who worked in um, a a port in Ukraine 
and he, so you're familiar with tax, um, tax software in the U.S., so TurboTax or Quicken, or Quicken those, yeah. those sorts of things. So in Ukraine, they have something called, um, oh, goodness, I'm having a senior moment, but they have an equivalent of, of their tax, of, of this kind of a tax and accounting software that everybody uses if they're, if they're in Ukraine. And, uh, and so the Russian, it, it does auto updates, right? You know, oh, you're ready for your auto update. And so the Russian, the, the ground zero for that attack was this update server at, um, at, the, at the tax and accounting software. And, and it went out and it infested computers all over. So Maersk was not a Ukrainian company. It was a Danish company. And they, but they did have a presence there. And the guy who was in their finance department wanted on his personal laptop to have this software installed. And so his... One computer got infected with this NotPetya ransomware. Now, the NotPetya ransomware drew on the attack of the shadow brokers against the NSA, where they bolted in a um, a cyber tool called Eternal Blue. Right. And uh, and then they another partnered thing, for the for those of you who wish, you can just go on your browser. There's shadow all kinds of is stuff. Another big one. All kinds of stuff written about that and about Eternal Blue. So you'll you'll find yep. all of this online. And uh, and so once once it got into that one computer, it transited the entire network apparently it took them about two hours to shut down their stuff but i mean people were leaping over gates because the gates wouldn't open and they had miles long traffic backups at their various ports that they operated uh, ultimately cost them about 300 million dollars that attack yeah. So as we say here at CyberCon IQ that we are often just all one click away from disaster, which is really quite unfortunate. So we like to say that one of the things we need to do is turn cybersecurity into a team sport to avoid those clicks and those funny things because auto-updating is a well-known pathway of attack. So, all right, well, when we come back, a brief break, and then we'll continue with this really interesting conversation. We'll see you in a minute. iq for You is brought to you by CyberCon IQ a patent-pending cybersecurity awareness learning platform that is based on behavioral science. CyberCon IQ understands that every individual's learning journey is different, so why should everyone receive the same training program? At the heart of the CyberCon IQ solution is a personal style assessment. By first understanding the workplace persona of each individual in an organization, CyberCon IQ then delivers a personally curated cybersecurity education that teaches employees to recognize the cyber threats they are most susceptible to. Visit CyberConIQ.com for more information on this revolutionary learning platform. Okay, so um, if you're curious about how, how uh, things have panned out, and, and one of the things I love to talk about related to NotPetya is that it's a big indicator for where cyber risk insurance mm. is going to go. Or not go. Or not go, exactly. Um, so Maersk had about $300 million worth of damage. That's what they, they're quoting their number is. Um, Mondelez, which uh, they, I think they make Ritz crackers and uh, and and my favorite Cadbury cream eggs, <laughs> they had about a hundred million dollars. Speaking of Halloween, <laughs> worth of damage. Um, one of the big pharmaceuticals um, had I think eight hundred million dollars worth Eli, of damage. Was it Eli Lilly? I thought I can't remember, but anyway. My- anyway, uh, the the point being, they had these massive, massive 
disruptions to their business, huge operational costs. And when they went to file for their insurance claims, because they all had cyber risk insurance, they were denied any payment because it was an act of war. Mm-hmm. It was identified as an act of war of the Russians against the Ukraines. And so that was one of those caveats in insurance where they say, oh, sorry, collateral damage from war. We don't cover that. Yeah. Well, and let's also make reference while we're here as a cyber insurance, perhaps a topic we can put into our future podcast for those of you that want to know a little more. You often think of insurance when you are personally, when you're thinking about that as covering risk, right? We talk about insurance right. covers risk. So your car insurance, your house insurance designed, of course, to transfer or mitigate the risk that you would personally face uh, to a population of people for shared risk. And this is the idea of how insurance has worked for forever. Cyber insurance is a little bit different because it is, it's not actually stop-loss insurance. It's stop-gap insurance. It's very curious. And people don't really understand this. Um, your cyber insurance policies, and for any of you who maybe think that these big companies are going to get this money back, they don't actually get the money back. What they get is help with the reparations to return to normal operations and all of the um, attendant legal and technology help required to to report the attack. So your cyber insurance is actually about your response to the attack. It doesn't actually change the liability for the company in terms of the actual losses that it it experienced. And uh, it's it's startling. The Small Business Administration recently did some research that says that if you are a small or medium-sized business in the U.S. and you are unfortunately attacked by, by virtue of this, you realize that you can easily pick something up and it can be an entirely unintentional attack that you become the victim of. That unfortunately, 56% of small business, and they define small business in this case as under 500 employees, which in the United States is a large number of, of our listeners probably own companies or working companies under 500 people, that 56% of those will go bankrupt within 12 months and of, an, of a cyber attack. And that's because they have not only the, the economic loss of the attack itself, but the overwhelming amount of regulatory red tape and legal red tape required to report out and to do all the things required state by state because the damage often involves the theft of not only money, but the often information. Your and that is the problem. And so, yeah. so I'm going to tell you, this is very real. And that is what, when we talk about hybrid warfare, that is the cyber and economic part coming together. Right. A cyber attack that has economic damage is by definition a form of hybrid, right? Mm-hmm. And the same thing with um, all of the information attacks we're doing. And, you know, everything we're talking about seems to me um, is really driving home the point that you can be innocently running your business with no connection to a geopolitical event. And you could be one of the 77% of businesses who's gotten cyber risk insurance and you're you're in for a surprise when you, you fall victim you to are, an attack. You are, and that won't protect you. And so that's something for you to think about. What are you doing preemptively and proactively to avoid becoming a victim of a cyber attack or collateral damage to a cyber attack? And, you know, an interesting example of that, so I'll, my home and native land, some of you might detect the odd word I say is, is Canada, and I've been down here for a long time, but uh, home and native land is Canada. And Canada is now embroiled in an interesting thing, which is the Huawei, right? They arrested oh. the CFO, the daughter of the founder of a Chinese company, and any of you know much about how the Chinese system works, uh, whether you are a private enterprise in China or not, you have an obligation when the government comes knocking to cooperate and work with the party to accomplish whatever its particular agenda is. So in the in the deploying of new 5G networks, Huawei was getting an incredible advantage because of its price and the quality of its engineering, which had all, for the most part, uh, one could argue was stolen. But anyway, we'll, we'll leave that for another <laughs> podcast. And, but anyway, so so, uh, 
the Canadians were respecting a long-standing extradition treaty with the U.S., and here we intrude again into the domain of law, and that extradition treaty caused with the criminal charges she was facing in the U.S. that when she was transiting through Vancouver in Canada, she was arrested and she was going to be extradited to the U.S. Now, this is a an ongoing court challenge and it's very interesting. But this was the first example I know for most Canadians where suddenly what they were facing was Canada was no longer a nice place, right? Mm-hmm. This was no longer right. the, the beautiful <laughs> red maple leaf everywhere where they go. They're collaborating doing with thing. those evil Americans. That's it. And that, that is exactly it. So now what happened is Canada's attack vectors and volume of attacks has started to creep up quite significantly. If you looked at the oh, attack well, data. Yeah. So this is proof positive of something I say in many of my keynotes. There is a geopolitical layer to cybersecurity. Actions have consequences, they clearly. do. And, and so the actions of any one particular government in a geopolitical way, in this particular case, the Canadians respecting the law and the tradition that they had with the, with the U.S., has caused repercussions in terms of the geopolitical standing of Canada with a very, very talented cyber adversary you do not want to be on the other side of the 10,000 or so Chinese really bright engineers who work for the Chinese national government doing all kinds of things in cyber so it has really teed up for me an awareness that we also need to get the message out to folks that you can be again innocently caught up in the actions of your national government in whatever way that is and you too can become collateral damage in hybrid warfare there you go so we've we've Pulled it all together. So, well, listen, we should probably take our last break of the, uh, of the show, and we'll be right back, and we'll cover some news and events and your feedback. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This segment is presented by CyberCon IQ, an innovative behavioral science-based approach to cybersecurity. If you are joining us here at iq for You, you too are fascinated by risk and rules and by the calculus which drives our decision-making process. CyberCon IQ understands this as well. They have applied their expertise in trait-based personality theory to predict and interdict against today's cyber threats. Their patented personal style assessment and adaptive learning platform will empower professionals and organizations to reduce the potential cost associated with cyber attacks and will advance a strengthened risk and compliance culture within. Visit CyberCon and Q to learn more on this innovative approach. And welcome back. We're going to talk about the news and comments from listeners and all that good stuff, <laughs> the kind of thing we do at the end of every segment. So there we go. And so the Russians continue to be in the news, James. No, I know. Well, you know, the Russians are never going to get out of the news is, no. is the unfortunate thing. So um, let, let's talk a little bit about, uh, how about we talk about Energetic Bear? Why don't we tell our listeners a bit about Energetic Bear? Well, so Energetic Bear, I don't know if you remember Fancy Bear from yes. back in 2016. Yeah. And back then we were sort of kind of sure that Fancy Bear was connected to the Russians, but there was, was still it formally plenty, of, attributed, plenty yes. of plausible deniability, yeah. shall yeah. we say. And that's that actually is one of the interesting things about cyber. And we're beginning, we talked earlier about this whole attribution challenge. How do you attribute behavior in cyber to a particular government and, and how that's critical for the laws of armed conflict? So what we're seeing a lot of is partnership between nation-state governments and organized crime. Mm -hmm. Not in every country, but in a number of countries. And the reason for that is if I'm a government and the 
act of war was committed by an organized criminal unit, it's not an act of war. It wasn't, it wasn't done by me as the it's government. It's at arm's length. Right? right? And so we're beginning to see a lot of collaboration in some countries in the world between organized crime and the government and tends to be in places where there's greater corruption versus lesser corruption, um, which is to say that there's probably nowhere where there's no corruption in, a, <laughs> in government, much as we might like Especially to believe that. Especially in some of the former Soviet bloc countries that are not a part of the Western democracy yeah. movement now. Well, that, that's probably good enough. I, I do have an email here from uh, a listener, which is okay. kind of interesting. Cool. So this is from Tanya in Toronto. And Tanya says, I am so intrigued by this podcast because I have never, ever stopped to think about how my personality directly directly ties to my online behavior and I've learned so much. Thank you. Keep doing more. Okay. How about that? So I, you know, I'm, I'm up for more. Uh, me too. I'm up for more too. <laughs> so listen, we always appreciate hearing from you. So if you want to reach us, let me just tell you, you can get us at IQ for you at cyberconiq.com. Feel free. You can also reach our podcast off that and off all your favorite podcast sites. You can find us there. And so with that, we're going to wish you well. Have a great week. Keep your game on against the con. This episode of IQ4U is produced by me, Chris Perez. Editor is Abigail Spar. And special thanks to our co-hosts. All rights are reserved for this podcast to CyberCon IQ Inc. You can listen to this podcast for free on any of your favorite platforms or by visiting us at cyberconiq.com.